Hi, I'm Father Gregory Pine. And I'm Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And you're listening to the Catholic Classics Podcast, where we seek to grow our interior lives by learning from the Church's greatest saints and teachers. Each season, we'll read through a great work, explain its spiritual principles, and help you apply its timeless wisdom to your life. The Catholic Classics Podcast is brought to you by Ascension. This season, we are reading Ascension's edition of Confessions by St. Augustine. A few reminders before we get started. To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text CONFESSIONS to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. Today we will be beginning Book 10 of the Ascension edition of Confessions. This bonus episode is an introduction to the reflections that you'll hear for the next few days. If you'd like to hear some of our conversations on other subjects, follow up with us and three of our brother priests on the podcast, Godsplaining. There, you'll find weekly episodes on a variety of Catholic themes with occasional guests, scriptural meditations, and special series. You can find Godsplaining with any podcast app on YouTube and at godsplaining.org. All right, let's go ahead and get started. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, here we are in Book 10, which is exciting for a variety of reasons. One, we've already heard that St. Augustine is converted, and we are pleased. Two, we have heard that St. Monica has gone to her eternal reward, and while you know stricken with sorrow, we are nonetheless pleased. Um, and we're looking forward to the remainder of the book, and the tone is going to shift, so it's going to introduce some new excitement, because without all the dramatic tension of the build-up to his conversion, there's got to be something else that keeps us coming back for more, and that something else is going to be his interpretation of sacred scripture. Uh, so St. Augustine will say, well, I should say the title of this book is Confessions in 13 Books. And when St. Augustine revisits this, you know, later in his life when he writes his retractions, he'll say that the first 10 books are about his life. And then the, the last three books, you're like, oh my gosh, there are 20 books. No, <laughs> the last three books are about sacred scripture. So we are in the 10th book. So the last of those books dedicated to his life, but you'll already notice that the tone is shifting uh, as he begins to kind of sum up some of his life's journey and also to kind of move us in a somewhat philosophical direction, which will prepare us for the, the philosophical kind of vocabulary and grammar of the final three books that he will train on his, his reading of sacred scripture. So Father Jacob Bertrand, we have passed through nine books. We have four books that remain. Any insights as to uh, how we navigate this transition? That's a good question, because book 10 is also not a short transition. It's it's a clunker of a book. But yeah, I think that with the, the sort of way the confessions go with 13 books and divided, as you said, as St. Augustine said, you know, 10 books to his life, three books on sacred scripture, it also kind of mirrors the reality of, of sanctity and holiness that, right? So he's, he's speaking about his life, but and then he begins to speak about God in the scriptures. And and not that he hasn't been speaking about God before, but an understanding now more of less of sort of what he's about, what Augustine's about, and more about what God's about. So there's a sort of, we, we don't lose St. Augustine. We still have him and we still have his writings and his thoughts and his life and all of this, but it, it gives a sort of different flavor to what it means to be a Christian. And remember, if 
way back when, when we were talking about Augustine and his earlier years, his desire and pursuit of wisdom, um, this connection of, of being wise and well-ordered and all of this within now a sort of context of holiness, of Christianity, of Catholicism, of beginning to understand and having the mind open to who God is and what he does. So we're, yeah, we're, I guess we've said it, but it's kind of a transition from just Augustine and, and his thoughts and, and now to and with with God, bigger kind of picture thing. Yeah, and it's it's funny actually in reading this particular text or in focusing on this particular book, I see a connection between this season of Catholic Classics and our first season of Catholic Classics. Uh, so we read the introduction to the devout life, which was written in the 17th century. This is written in the fourth century. Obviously, there's a lot of time that elapses between them. What could they possibly have to say about each other? Well. Uh, the introduction of the devout life was divided into five books, and the first book served as a kind of preparation for a general confession. So, you know, like he talks about the desire to live this devout life, he kind of instructs us in Christian meditation. Uh, he leads us through 10 meditations, many of which actually focus on creation, not insignificant for those who are downstream of St. Augustine. And then at the end, he says, this is what you're going to want to do if you make a general confession. And it's fascinating here, right? We've been in the context of a confession the entire time. But this book serves kind of like a general confession because St. Augustine takes time to give us a moral accounting, uh, a kind of cataloging of his sins, those sins that he has overcome successfully, those sins that remain with him, and kind of where he trains his sights at present. And it's not to congratulate himself, really. I mean, the, the kind of ongoing refrain of the entire work has been a kind of marvel or admiration before the grace of God, which has seen fit to visit him with such mercy. But, you know, it, it, it helps us also to take stock in our own case. So, yeah, I don't know if you have particular thoughts when hearing him work his way through what he has endured and then what he can now offer to the Lord in sacrifice. Yeah, the the sin is interesting. I don't know if it's interesting. Sin can be boring too. But like recounting the reality of of one's sort of life can have an interesting sort of dimension to our understanding of who we are and who God is and, and God's pouring out of mercy because a lot of what Augustine did in his life and what he suffered was at his own hand. You know, they were the choices that he made. They were the habits that he built up and they were his sort of wanderings, you know, he wasn't forced to go the way he did. He chose to. And and that shaped who he was and who he is and, and what he does. And as we mentioned at the very beginning of the season, this is partly why Augustine is writing these confessions to sort of make a, a manifestation of what was and what is now. But it's also the case that that Augustine's wanderings, his sins, his brokenness are the occasion for salvation, for his salvation, for his encounter with God's mercy. Um, so they kind of give an intelligibility to the good work that God does and that make sense of Augustine's reflecting on that. So it's not to say, you know, we've talked about evil with the Manichees and understanding that. It's not to say that God causes evil or causes sin or that sort of thing, but he allows it to happen and and uses it so as to bring St. Augustine to him. And we've kind of arrived at this point. So St. Augustine carries on and continues with his own sort of pursuit of wisdom, of understanding, of deepening, opening his mind to who God is. So, Yeah. And, and, you end there with a reference to, to opening his mind, and that's a very significant feature in this book because he'll talk about kind of mounting from the lowest to the highest points in his humanity in his search for God. So yeah, he's, he's performing this kind of mental exercise, and he's recounting each step that he takes along the way from his body, 
you know, to his soul, to the height of his soul and his memory in search of God. And, you know, I suppose that this would be in keeping with a kind of Neoplatonic philosophy, which is to say a philosophy inspired by Plotinus, who was one of the great students of Plato, but part of his own, you know, kind of philosophical conversion. This is a feature of it. Uh, so he's doing something like a, a philosophical exercise to try to meet God in the heights of his humanity. I don't know that we need to get too terribly lost in the weeds of this pursuit, but what it does bring into focus is that we're meant to train our minds and hearts on God and that we're meant to, to exercise them. So this doesn't mean that you have to be smart to be holy, right? But, but it does mean that we should make a certain effort with the gifts with which we've been blessed and, you know, to train them on their highest, you know, goal, their highest possible object. So we talk a lot about this when describing what it means to be made to the image and likeness of God. So yeah, your thoughts on what it demands of us or the type of claim that it, that it has on us, this, this dignity of being made to the image and likeness of God. Yeah, it certainly doesn't mean, as you were saying, that we are necessarily have to be intellectuals or theologians or or that sort of thing. But we do have to be students, disciples of, of Christ. Um, we're called to know, right? We're called to know what? We're called to know more appropriately. We're called to know whom? Well, God, we're, we're, we're made with this mind to know and a heart to love. And that heart follows the mind. So the sort of process of continued conversion, it, it begins with coming to know who God is. And I think that it's important to say that uh, and to recognize that the way by which we know or how we know is different for different people. You know, some people come to know God as intellectuals, as theologians, as sort of disciplined studiers of the divine. But others, it's, it can be much more simple and basic. It, it's, it's not as if the Catholic life demands of us like an, an SAT sort of thing at the end to see if we, if we got the God thing down. You know, it's, it, we can't forget the reality and the point that, that God is a person who wants to be known, not a thing or an object to be known. And, and this is what the whole of Augustine's pursuit is here. He's not trying to amass intellectual knowledge. He's trying to come to know the person of Jesus Christ, of God the Father, of, of the Holy Trinity. And I think we should have confidence in the fact that God has made us to know him that we're called to know him. It's part of our vocation, part of who each of us are to know and to love God. Yeah. In the introduction that we wrote for this book, Book 10 of the Confessions, we quote St. Gregory of Nazianzus, who says that God is an infinite ocean of substance. Sometimes you'll hear this quote attributed to St. John Damascene because he got it from St. Gregory of Nazianzus. But the idea here is that God is, you know, infinitely rich in being, and that we can spend our whole life on earth and our whole life in heaven sounding the depths and never hit bottom, right? So it's for us really to take the plunge uh, to go about, you know, swimming, doing laps in this infinite ocean of substance, or if you prefer scuba diving or snorkeling or whatever water sport seems to fit your fancy, regardless, you're in the water. And I think that sometimes we get turned off from intellectual pursuits because they seem snooty on the one hand, or they might seem hard on the other hand, or people who undertake intellectual pursuits, we find repulsive. <laughs> Whatever reason it is, you know, it's 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 not required, like you're saying, Father Jacob Burchin, for us to become intellectuals, as uh, Flannery O'Connor would say. Uh, it's for us to, yeah, to train our minds and hearts on the Most High God and to make a habit of, of study and prayer and to try to lead the contemplative life that God is drawing us into, right? That he is inviting us to partake of. So I, I think that we can say, 
you know, with a, a certain amount of confidence. We don't have to stress too terribly much uh, because at this point you've arrived at book 10 of the confessions. Uh, you're listening to us talk about it. So you're, you're crushing it. You're doing a great job there, listener. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but still, it's something to be undertaken for the whole of our life. And it's more important to focus on the habit, which is to say the virtue, uh, than to, you know, like focus on conquering X number of books or focus on impressing Y number of people. Okay, so uh, throughout the course of this book, St. Augustine repeats a particular line, which I really love. Uh, God, give what you command and command what you will. And the sense there is that God has promised to provide us with what we need to follow out or to fulfill his precepts. And that his precepts, they're not arbitrary, they're not made up. They actually reflect his divine will, which is to say his divine love for our lives. So Father Jacob Bertrand, in your meditation upon that line, which recurs several times in these pages, you know, like, what does that bring to mind? Or how does that help you to reflect on God and his promise of abundant life? Yeah, I kind of, as I try to work it out in my mind, try to work it out backwards. So, right, we have God giving, commanding, and willing. But if we work backwards, we can see it in a different way, I think a helpful way, right? So there's the will, God command what you will, what God will. So there's God's will. And with particulars, there can be a whole host of different things that God wills, always the good, but played out in different ways. But ultimately, if we're looking at what it is that God wills, it's it's our salvation. It's our sanctification. So we can use that by way of example. It could be something else. It could be with St. Augustine's chastity, you know, whatever it might be. And then God willing it, you know, commanding it of us, asking us to be holy, asking us to be chaste, whatever it might be. But in the end, these things only come about because of God's goodness and God's giving. So if God wills something, he desires it, he wants it, and he asks it of us, the beauty is that God also gives us the means to do it. He gives us the grace to do it. Often we have to always, we have to put ourselves there, cooperate with that. So this is why we even pray that prayer, that line of St. Augustine, that give what you command and command what you will. It unites us to the will of God, even in that prayer, unites us to the person of God. So that's how I think of it. I kind of think of it moving backwards of like, okay, what is he talking about? Well, that's what he's talking about, that God desires our good. He He asks our good of us and he gives us the capacity to pursue it. So yeah, that that's kind of my two-second meditation yeah, yeah. on it. And, and I think too, something else it brings before our eyes is that God loves us each in a way that's particular, in a way that's proper, in a way that's personal. So the sanctity that he has in store for you will be different than the sanctity that he has in store for, you know, Father Jacob Bertrand. Uh, they'll, they'll look different. They'll be related, no doubt, because they pertain to the sanctity of the one mystical body, but they will look different. And I think meditating on this passage also helps us to appreciate that. Not only what you will in general, right, or what you will universally, but what you will in particular, you know, like what you will concretely for me. All right. And then your commands, you know, you set forward your commands like the Ten Commandments, for instance, with general clarity so that everyone can abide by them. But also God's going to make claims on your life in a particular and personal way. Right. And he's going to prompt you. You know, the Holy Spirit's going to speak strongly and sweetly. And you're going to have the, the interior instinct or sense that you're being drawn into God's life with, uh, yeah, with a particular tendency or with a particular motion that will, you know, eventuate in particular actions or in particular relationships. And it's for us to follow those things so that ultimately, you know, like in receiving the will of God for our lives and following his commands as they take shape, we might be better disposed to receive his gift. Because when God gives gifts, ultimately he gives himself. And this is a point that we find in St. Augustine's works and that we find in the whole Christian tradition so that we can have the confidence that God's going to love us in a way that's that's for us 
uh, not as like a comparative thing, but just just as a different thing. And and then we can say, I don't know if you've ever come across the litany of humility, uh, but that last line is very disturbing to many people, very troubling. This this notion that that others become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. I think here what we're describing is a kind of spiritual holy indifference. You know, like, God, make everyone as holy as you so will. Like the Blessed Virgin Mary, I want her to be as holy as she is, which is surpassingly holy. You know, like St. Joseph, I want him to be as holy as he is, which is surpassingly holy. And my next door neighbor and my brother with whom, you know, I sit in the chapel and this, that, and the other thing. But ultimately, what I want to make good on is the graces that you give to me. You know, I want to acknowledge and I want to receive those graces so I can profit from them, so I can build up your church and ultimately be saved and spend eternity with you in heaven because word is that is a delightful thing so yeah father jacob bertrand final thoughts as we enter into uh this this long book 10 and and begin to think about the end of the confessions yeah i guess just a recommendation as you begin to turn in the page and listen to the pod that can be a new a new saying yeah you like that <laughs> um is to keep in mind what we're after or whom we're after, and that's the person of, of Christ. And St. Augustine, his meditations are reflections on his own life. They are a reflection on his life, but they're also an invitation and a means by which, you know, to be drawn into Jesus, into Christ. So we shouldn't lose sight of that as we kind of get into the weeds of some of his scriptural interpretation and explanation and exploration, um, that it's all about coming to know who Christ is, uh, and that our Lord is giving us the grace and the ability he has he has given it to us to, to come to know him. So we should we should trust and be confident as, as we forge ahead. Boom. All right. So in your study of St. Augustine, study Christ, and you will be richly rewarded with Jesus. Probably not with like cars or houses or anything else. <laughs> All right. So know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us, and we will catch you next time on Catholic Classics. Mm-hmm.